In the first message of this series titled, What is Church? We looked at the formation, the foundation, and the function of the church, the body of Christ. And if that's all there were, this question of what is church would be fairly simple and straightforward. However, as Paul Harvey would point out, there is more to the story. In today's message, we address a subject that is not spoken of often enough. Today, we look at the great deceiver, the father of lies, our great adversary, the devil, in this message titled, The Foe of the Church. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, for your blessings. We thank you for what's been accomplished in your house today. Lord, I thank you uh, for the saving of souls. God, that you're still able, you're still willing to save whomsoever will call upon your name. God, I pray, Lord, if there's some here that don't know you, those that are here that have never received that gift, those here that may have had a profession but never truly a possession, God, I pray, uh, Lord, that you continue to save more souls in your house today. God, I pray, Lord, that you open our eyes all the lost, all the Christians that are here, to what you've given your servant today to bestow unto the people. For it is most important. God, I pray, Lord, you help us. Take the scales from off our eyes. Help us to see our adversary today. We love you, and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Last week, we had begun what I had told you would be a series concerning the church. A few messages that are centered around the church. And uh, I'm not sure how long it will go. It will go until God is done with it. Last week we had uh, spoken on three different uh, topics concerning the church. The first was the formation of the church what the church is. The church is not a building, but it is a body. If you've been born again, you're part of the church. Amen. It's an entity that was created by Christ. It was created in Christ, and it was created for Christ. And so we looked at the formation of the church, how it began. And then we looked at the foundation of the church and how it is based on Christ. On Christ the solid rock I stand. Amen. 
All other ground is sinking sand. And we had pointed out that it is not simply a program. It's not simply man's point of view because programs and point of views, they all falter. They all change uh, as the wind bloweth. Man, they'll change. But man, Christ is steady, stable, and sure. It's based on a person. We looked at the formation of Christ and the foundation of Christ and then, uh, or excuse me, the formation of the church, the foundation of the church, and then lastly we looked at the function of the church. What is the church's purpose? What is this body of believers that God hath formed, that God has founded, that is based upon Him? What in the world are we supposed to do? What is our purpose? And so we looked at the function of the church and three things that we looked specifically to, and that is, number one, to gather, number two, to grow, and number three, to go. Go into all the world and to bear witness of Jesus. And so we looked at, in looking at that question, what is church, what is church, we looked at those three things last week. And in, in closing last week, I had mentioned to you that one of the things, we're going to touch on several topics concerning the church. One of those things is the foe of the church. I had mentioned that yesterday. And uh, so that, or not yesterday, but last week, I'd mentioned that we're going to speak about the foe of the church. What is our opposition? We understand our function now. We understand what it is we're founded upon. We understand what it is we're supposed to do. But we must understand that there is a driving force against us. We have to understand that. We have to realize that, 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 there, that there is something that is fighting against us. There is an opposition. It's known by several names. He's known in 1 John 3.8 as the devil. Revelation 12.9 as the dragon. Jesus called him in Matthew 13.39 the enemy. He also called him in John 8.44, the father of lies. In Matthew 4.3, he's known as the tempter. In John 10 and 10, he's known as the thief. Isaiah 14.12 calls him Lucifer. Mark 1.13 calls him Satan. And so he's known by many things, but we're speaking of the father of lies, Satan himself. He is our opposition. I feel right now, and we're going to speak about what he does, but I feel right now that what Satan is doing is he's whispering in ears and saying, man, he's crazy. That preacher believes in fairy tales. Don't listen to him. He's silly. But I want you to understand that he's very real. He is very real. He is as real as you and me. And He is present all too often. And what I hope to accomplish today, what I hope to accomplish today is what Paul said unto that church in Corinth. In 2 Corinthians 2.11, he said, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. I feel in today's day and age there's many there are many people that are ignorant of the way Satan is. They're ignorant of the way Satan works. They're ignorant of who Satan is altogether. And so today we're going to look at the foe of the church. And I hope, man, I, I hope that, 
And, and I prayed that God would take scales off of eyes. Uh, I pray that God will unclog ears and just let the Holy Spirit speak unto you because I believe that with every word that I speak about our great opposition that the Holy Ghost will confirm in your heart if you'll just let Him. We see number one concerning the foe of the church. We see His purpose. We see His purpose. And uh, there's a confusion among many. I had said last, I had said last uh, Sunday, I said the foe of this church is not me. And I want you to understand the fo- your foe is, is not me. Your foe is not your brothers and sisters. Your foe is not God. There's many people that blame God for things. There's many think people that are blame the pastor for what he preaches. They'll, they'll blame their brothers and sisters in Christ for why they don't go to church and this, that, and the other. But we are not your foes. But there is one. There is one. His purpose, number one, is to deceive. This is one of the fantastic abilities of Satan is to deceive. Revelation 12, 9, it says this. It says... And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. That word deceiveth in Revelation 12, 9 means this, to cause to roam from safety, truth, or virtue. To go astray, to deceive, to err, to seduce, to wander, to be out of the way. This is the great causative purpose of Satan is to deceive you and I, to cause us to go out of the way, to cause us to wander, to cause us to, and and I love the way that's termed, to cause to roam from safety, truth, or virtue. And let me just say this, there's safety with the Lord, amen? Amen. There's truth from the Lord and there's virtue in the Lord. But Satan's desire is to get you to wander from that. Satan's utmost desire is to get you to wander. and to He does that by deceiving you. To wander from the Lord, to wander from those things in uh, which, in the way in which you should go, cause you to roam from that. You say, well, preacher, how does he do that? How in the world does Satan do that? Let me tell you. We looked last week at the function of the church. How the church is to gather. We look in Hebrews 10.24, and let me just read it again. I told you last week, whenever Satan tempts you to to, uh, forsake the house of God, to forsake the assembly of God, I told you to mark this and go back and refer to it. But Hebrews 10.24 and 25 says this, it says, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Now that is the Word of God, amen? That's not the opinion of preacher. That is what thus saith the Lord. And so, but let me show you how Satan works. Satan will tell us, church isn't that important. Ain't nothing but a bunch of hypocrites down there, Right? Church is not that important. What's important, what's important is where your heart is. See, God knows where your heart is. You don't need to go to church. I mean, I've heard that so many times it makes me want to puke. Amen. 
But you know what Jeremiah 17 says? It says the heart is deceitfully wicked above all. You see, Satan will tempt you. And he'll whisper to you. Say, I mean, the Bible says to gather. That's what it says. And I'm not taking it out of context. I'm not reading into it. I'm simply saying what it says. Consider one another. Provoke one another. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. But Satan will tell you, man, it's not important. And, and, and then they'll tell you this, man. Church is, is okay. And, and you do really good. You do really good, man. You come that Sunday morning service. That's more than most people you know do. Right? You'll come that Sunday morning service, and that's, and that's good enough. You don't need Sunday night. That's just for the zealots, right? you got too much stuff going on. Don't you know you got too much stuff going on? You can't do that, man. you got yard work. you got sports. you got this. you got that. You, do, you, do, you don't have time for all that. If you go Sunday morning, let me tell you what, God is pleased with that. Let me tell you what, God is pleased when you come Sunday morning. But God still expects you to come whenever we are assembled. It's popular preaching, ain't it? Some of you right now, Satan's whispering, saying, man, that preacher's crazy. He does not know your heart, does not know the way your life is. You're okay just the way you are. But understand this, church, we have an opposition. If you believe any of the Bible, you've got to believe all of the Bible. If you believe in Jesus, you've got to believe in the one he spoke of called Satan. If you believe there's a Redeemer, you have, to, you have to understand that there's something you need redeemed for. And I gave you the many names in which he goes by. And so, the one instance in which we... The one purpose that we spoke about, one of the purposes that we spoke about is to gather. As a church, we're to gather. And so much more as you see the day approaching, that day in which coming, that, that second time when Jesus is going to come as the lion and he's going to bring uh, destruction upon the earth, the judgment upon the earth in which the earth so rightly deserves. And let me just tell you this. If you're too busy... For the house of God. Let me just... There's no one in here that has more than 24 hours in a day, do you? Not a one. Every one of us has the same amount of time. Every one of us. We have the same amount of time. Well, we don't have the same amount of responsibilities. That may be so. But let me say this. If you've got too much to do in your 24-hour day, in your seven days a week, and you have to cut some things out which... Listen, a lot of us need to be cutting some things out, amen? If you've got to cut some things out, it ought not to be the things of God as a Christian. That should be the last thing we cut out. Am I, am I missing the point here? Am I missing the boat? Or can you not see that? As a Christian, the last thing we should do is cut out the things of God. We see the Bible tells us, God tells us, the author of scriptures, together. God tells us to grow, 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so what Satan will do, I mean, the Bible admonishes us to study the word of God, but what Satan will do is this, it says, man, this, but that's so hard to understand. The Bible's so hard to understand, and, and it's written in that old English. 
And I'm not even going to get into other Bible verses. Let's just stick with this, okay? Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's written, in, and, and, and I don't even know where to start. I don't know what to do. I don't know, I, I don't know anything. Listen, I tell you what. Preacher knows what he's talking about. At least I hope you say that. Preacher knows what he's talking about. We'll just let him study it, and we'll listen. Let me tell you what. That admonishment was not just to preachers. It was to Christians. Satan will tell you, hey, just listen to what the man of God has to say. But understand this. That is the deception that the Catholic Church has been promoting for 1,500 years. You, you don't need the Scriptures. That's why they kept it in Latin to keep it away from the people. You don't need it. He'll tell you what it means. His purpose is to deceive. He does not want you to grow. He does not want us to gather. And He certainly does not want us to go. Mark 16, 15 says, speak, Jesus speaking, and He said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That is the mission of the church. Not just the preacher. Can I get an amen there? That is our mission. But you know what Satan will tell you? You can't tell somebody about Jesus. You don't know enough. What if they ask you something and you don't have the answer to it? What are you going to say? You're going to look like a fool. You're going to look like you don't know what you're talking about. How can you do that? Or, or, or you know what else they'll tell you? That's not your gift. Let me tell you what. Witnessing is not a gift. It's a command. Amen. It's not a gift. It's a command. It's a command unto all, not unto some. But you have to understand our enemy. You have to understand his purpose, what he's doing. He deceives. That's what he does. He deceives us. I feel like I've lost you already. And you can fall to that deception if you want. Let me give you one more and then we'll move on. To the lost people. To those who know not Christ. I can't tell you how many times I have preached... We've given an invitation. And, you know, maybe I would ask if you know the Lord, raise your hand if you don't or whatever. And people would openly admit that they're lost. They are under conviction. They know that. Uh, but yet, they come not forward and get saved. You know why that is? I believe it's all because they don't believe it. They didn't believe it. They just wouldn't acknowledge one way or the other. It's because Satan is there. And he says this. Man, you really don't need that religion stuff. It's nothing more than a crutch. Hey, you're a man. Right. Or you're stronger than that. You don't need that. Or better yet... Yeah, okay, what he's saying is true. I'll grant it. It's true. You know, I can't fight the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is speaking. It's true. But you have time. Just do it next week. Do it later. Do it some other time. But right now, there's so many people here, and it's going to be so awkward. You're going to be so awkward if you go up there and kneel down. It's just, listen, you're going to look like an idiot. Don't do it now. Do it later. Lies from the father of them. He works to deceive, church. He works to deceive. You see, the manner in which he works. 
to deceive. Secondly, is to displace. To displace. If you know the book of Job, or at least the beginning of the book of Job, you would see that uh, it says this in verse number 1. It says, speaking of Job, it says he was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. He hated it. And then Satan comes along bragging unto God about how he has dominance over the whole world. How he can walk to and fro and he's implying that man, he just whispers those little sweet things in their ears and they do what he says. And then God says this, he says, have you considered my servant Job? And he said, well, what does he serve you for nothing? Look what you do for him. You've got this hedge about him. You take away that hedge, man, and he'll, he'll curse you to your face. What does God do? What does God do? God lowers the hedge. He doesn't take it away, man, but He lowers the hedge. So what does Satan do? He begins to afflict Job. He begins to afflict him. What is he doing it for? Why? Because Job is exactly where he needs to be with God. Man, he feared God and he hated evil. He loved the Lord. He was constantly giving sacrifice. He was constantly offering up. He was a man of God. But yet, Satan wanted him away. He wanted him. He knew where Job was, and he wanted him elsewhere. It was to displace him, to move him from where he was. That has not changed. That purpose of Satan has not changed. If you are where you are, need to be with God, he wants you to move elsewhere. His desire is to tempt you, to try you, to afflict you in a way, in a manner in which he will get you to move away. Let me just ask you this right now. How many in here, how many in here would say, and I don't want a show of hands, just let your heart and your Holy Spirit answer this question. How many of you are where you need to be with God right now? That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Many of you have been displaced and you don't even realize it. Why? Because you've been deceived and you don't even know it. His purpose is to displace, to move you. And then lastly here, we see His purpose is to devour. In our Scripture in which we read, be sober and be vigilant. That means to be of straight mind, to be right-minded, and to be actively looking. And he gives the because for your adversary, your enemy, your opposition, the one who is fighting against you, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Church, he devours us by deceiving us and displacing us, by tricking us, by having us think one thing that is contrary to the Word of God, having us to accept as truth the lies in which He puts forth. He does that to displace us. And once He displaces us, man, it's easy to destroy us. It is easy to devour us. It is easy to... I mean, how many? How many broken homes do we need to see? 
I learned a new term this, this past week. It's called uh, grandparenting. Now, how many children have to be reared by their grandparents? How many addicts need to overdose and die before you see what is plain in front of your face? We see His purpose. That is His purpose. And His purpose is that because He is the opposition of God. And He is the opposition of anyone that knows God, that serves God, and He is the opposition of all of those so that they will never come to the knowledge and saving knowledge of God. That is His purpose. His purpose is that because He wants to be like God. Yet He will never. We see His procedures. Uh, we looked at what He does. And next I want to analyze. And this is a dissertation about Satan. The entire message. I hope you learned something from this today. We're going to look at His procedures. How it is He does what He does. Turn with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. We see the first mention of this being named Satan. Genesis chapter 3, verse number 1 says this. It says, Now the serpent was more... I still hear pages turning. Let me pause. Genesis 3, verse number 1, it says, Now the serpent was more what? What's that next word? Subtle. than any beast of the field the Lord God had made, and he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said... We see that the way Satan approaches us is subtly. Now in hermeneutics, the study of Scripture, there's something called the first mention principle. And that is whenever God mentions something for the first time in Scripture, He says something specific about that that holds great meaning. And when He's speaking about Satan for the first time, there's two things that you need to know. Number one, the first time he speaks of Satan, uh, how he broaches them, it's in the form of a serpent. And the first time God describes him, it's by using that word subtle. That word subtle means this, crafty, cunning, in a negative sense. Crafty or cunning in a negative sense. And as I was studying this last night, I pulled up. Now, most everybody knows kind of how a snake moves, right? Y'all familiar with snakes? You know, I, I read last night that there are four different ways a snake moves. That's, an, that's something else for another time. But there's four actually different ways that a snake will move. But the most common one, the one we understand is that serpentine method, right? Where the snake just goes like this. And you know what I thought about? It is when you look at a snake and you see that moving, you know if you were to not see the head and not see the tail, but you just saw the middle part, you know, it, would, it, would, it wouldn't look like it was moving at all. If you didn't see how it was going from this place to this place, that, that snake kind of holds that same form in which it moves. And you, you don't even see it at all. It would, be, it would be almost invisible to notice. If, you, if I was standing here and that snake was coming to me, if I didn't see the distance in which it moved, it would not even appear that he was heading my direction be hard to see. 
You know, uh, snakes, they do not even give off a smell unless they uh, want to. And they don't, even, they don't really even make a sound unless it's on purpose, like a rattle or something. So what I was just tell you, I mean, when you look at the serpent itself, uh, number one, it can be upon you before you ever know it. You won't really hear it coming. You won't really see it coming. You won't smell it coming. You don't know it's there until it's there. That's the way snakes operate. Let me tell you what, that's exactly how Satan operates. It's exactly how Satan operates. Subtly. Subtly. Church, let, let us understand this, number one. Let us understand the way Satan operates so we will not be ignorant of his devices. He comes subtly. He comes enticingly. We'll not read it for sake of time, but Matthew 4, 1 through 11 speaks of Jesus being tempted by Satan. Jesus goes and he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. And the Bible says, and afterward, Satan approaches him. And he comes to him, and the first thing he does is he, he tempts him. And he, he, he says, if thou be the Son of God, make these stones into bread. Now listen, he hadn't eaten for 40 days. I go 40 minutes, I'm hungry. He, he didn't eat for 40 days. And, 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 he, and Satan comes to him, he says, if, if you're the Son of God, if you can do this, let me tell you what he could have, Right? I'm talking about a guy that can make a blind eye see and deaf, deaf people to hear. He certainly could have taken stones and made them bread. He could have done that, but he was being tempted, and so he refused. And so what was Satan doing? He was appealing to his flesh. He was appealing to his fleshly desires, something that we need to sustain ourselves. Physical food, he was offering that for him. He comes enticingly. And then he goes and puts him on top of the pinnacle and says, okay, okay, okay. And see, Jesus rebutted him with Scripture. Thou shalt not eat by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And Satan says, okay, I know this tactic. Takes him up on the pinnacle of the temple and says, if thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. Because the Scripture says that, uh, you know, he'll... Angels will come and help him so his foot wouldn't dash against the stone. So what does he do? He's taking the Scriptures and twisting them to try to tempt him. What does Jesus do? He, he rebuts him again with Scripture and the proper use thereof. And so he takes him and he shows him all the kingdoms of all the world. And he says, man, if you'll just bow down to me, I'll give you every bit of this. The easy way. To dominance, the easy way to be king. Jesus, just bow down to me. I'll make you king. But yet, Jesus, hey, he's king of kings, amen. He is king. But he took the long road, he took the tough road, he took the hard road through Calvary to be it. So, what was he doing? He was appealing to the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. In the pride of life. He was putting before, before Jesus all these good things. And weren't bad things. Right? It wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. Food's not bad. Unless you eat you know, a lot of it like I do. Right? Food's not bad. It's necessary. So it's, it's not like he was, he was offering him this necessarily wicked stuff. 
Church, understand this. Satan will use good things to get you away from God. He will use familiar things. He will use things that, that, that you would never think could be used by Satan. He'll use them. It comes enticingly. He comes unexpectedly. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. Paul said this into that church. He said, no marvel. For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Many people, when they think of Satan, they think of that red, widow's peak, Horns, little crazy mustache, pointy tail, uh, pitchfork. They may, they may envision something so sinister looking with fangs and blood dripping from them. I, I mean, I don't know. But when people think of Satan, they think of some, some easily recognizable wicked figure. That is not the way Satan presents himself. That is not the way Satan presents himself. The Bible says he is transformed into an angel of light. He comes in forms in which you would never realize. He came to Eve as a serpent. He came to Jesus as Peter. When I said he comes unexpectedly, that's exactly what I meant. You were to read that account just before Jesus' uh, and, and notice, He comes in your weakened state. He came when Jesus had fasted for 40 days. Jesus physically was in a weakened state. He come to Him right before His crucifixion. Jesus was in a mentally weakened state. And that's when He came to Him. We see in uh, Matthew 16, just before Jesus is going to the cross, it says this, it says, From that time forth began Jesus show unto His disciples how that He must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. And it says this in verse number 22, it says, Then Peter uh, took Him and began to rebuke Him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned, speaking of Jesus, he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. And so he comes unexpectedly. He can use your friends. He can use your family. He can use your children. He can use something you would never expect. He can use them. And now Satan is whispering to you and saying, Preacher's done went off the deep end. You know he's crazy now. He'd never use my children. We certainly used Peter. Peter loved the Lord. Peter loved the Lord. Man, he, he forsook everything for God. How many of us have done that? He forsook everything for Jesus. How many of us could compare? But yet he used Peter to try to hinder the work of God. And so he comes in various forms. He comes unexpectedly. Why? To deceive us. 
I've met good liars in my time. Anybody ever met good liars? Couldn't tell whether they're telling the truth or not? I mean, this is the father of lies. You think it's going to be that easy to catch him in one? But we need to be sober and vigilant. Why? Because our adversary, the devil, walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He comes unexpectedly. And in Ephesians 6, I want to read this verse, and I want to take two points concerning Satan out of this passage of Scripture. It says, Ephesians 6, 11, it says, Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And so when I think of wrestling, when I think of wrestling, I used to wrestle. Uh, some of you probably did, um, either professionally or not. Uh, but you know what wrestling is about. If you've ever wrestled, you know that, number one, it is a continuous affair. It is a continuous affair. Man, when you're getting wallered around, there ain't no time for water breaks. It's just not, man. It's continuous. And you're out there one minute, three minutes, you know, however long it is. It seems like an eternity. It is a continuous thing. Listen, Satan will come at us continuously. You know, just when we think that, oh, uh, okay, man, everything's good. Everything's fine. Everything's perfect. Everything's going the way I'd like it to go in my life. That's exactly when it'll come. Remember, unexpectedly. So it's a continuous affair, and it's a strenuous affair. It is a strenuous affair. Another thing about wrestling, it is very laborious. It is a very laborious event. And church, when we consider Satan, and we consider how he comes at us, how he approaches us, what he does, his purpose for what he does, and how he comes subtly, how he comes unexpectedly, and how he comes in forms in which we would never imagine, how he, how he does all of these things to us. As long as we're in this flesh, it will be a continuous battle, and it will not be easy. But thank God, through Christ, we are able. We are able. And so we looked at his purpose, we looked at uh, his procedures, and then uh, lastly here, uh, lastly, here I'm going to look at his pain, that which he causes, um, ruined lives. I mentioned, I alluded to it a little bit uh, earlier. Ruined lives, uh, families destroyed, children forsaken and forgotten, uh, marriages ripped apart, communities rotten away, uh, the societal morals and standards and values, biblical, I mean in America here, we've had biblical standards, biblical morals, biblical values uh, from our inception that are just eroding away into nothing. How much pain He has caused. I feel that many of us could look at our families. And if you just limit it to our families, and you think of some of the ways in which Satan has deceived and displaced them, devoured them, destroyed them. We can look at our families and we can see pain in which he is brought. There is nothing good that comes from Satan. There is nothing good that he offers 
that is beneficial to us. Nothing. Nothing. But God does. God offers things that are beneficial. Things that will help. God offers the mending of the broken. God offers salvation to the lost. God offers all of that. And lastly here, speaking about His pain, that which He calls us, but I want you to understand there will be some in which He'll experience. Amen. And I, I'm okay to amen that. I, 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 don't like, I don't like to see people make dumb decisions and hurt, uh, but I'm okay with Satan living in hell for eternity. Amen. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Why? Because all the pain He has caused... My family, my community, my country, the world. Revelation 20 and 10 says, And the devil that deceived them was cast out into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. I want you to know, Satan is a defeated foe, church. And the only power he has, the only power he has is what we give him. That's it. It's the only power he has over us is what we give Him, what we allow Him. Why? Because if we're sober, if, if we're of right mind, and we're vigilant, we're continually watching, He will not deceive us. He cannot deceive us. If He doesn't deceive us, He cannot displace us. He cannot move us away from God. He can't move us away from the things of God. It's all in what we decide we're going to follow. That's the good news, church. That's the good news. We have a foe, but he's a defeated foe. He is a defeated foe. And uh, I'm thankful I'm on the winning side. 